This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
Hey, everybody, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Converge. Guys, if this is your first time here, welcome. So glad you are here. Uh, we at Converge are so excited through Heritage to serve young adults, specifically those who are in college. For those who do not know me, my name is Hunter Fretheim. I have the privilege of serving as the ministry assistant for adult ministries here at Heritage, right under that man, Pastor Dave Ashburn, who will come and bring the word for us in a little bit. A couple of announcements for us today. Um, it is that time of year where it is fall. By a show of hands, who here likes pumpkin spice? You can go ahead and get up and walk out, please. Uh, you are not. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, guys, but Pumpkin Spice reminds me that it is, in fact, fall. And we have a couple of events coming up. The main one for you guys to be aware of is we do have a fall gathering on October 29th. We are still figuring out the details. So more to come on this. But keep that in mind. Uh, mark that date off your calendars. Uh, and be prepared to come have a lot of fun for our fall gathering through Converge. Uh, second announcement for us is this is how you can stay up to date with all of the announcements and, and activities that we have going on. You can text HB Converge to 81010. That is HB Converge to 81010. And we will send out text updates. This is our primary means of communicating with you all about events that are happening at Heritage. Uh, next announcement, guys, is uh, adopt a college student. We have, uh, we are currently finalizing um, this, where we are trying to get college students to have families through the church who can take care of them and kind of act as a family away from home. We've had like 25 girls sign up and like eight guys. So guys, what are we doing? Sign up. There's still a couple more slots for you. This is a great opportunity to get to know the heritage community. And also, uh, it is valuable to uh, be discipled by people who are not your age, who live off campus and who live in the community. So while you're here, make sure you do that. You can scan that QR code or you can come talk to us afterwards. Guys, the biggest announcement for us today is that we have CrossCon coming up. Uh, this is going to be January 2nd to 5th. We will leave on the 2nd. Uh, and guys, this is an amazing opportunity. This is uh, an event and conference that uh, John Piper puts together. And it is an amazing opportunity for those who are in their 20s and their leaders to come together under God's word uh, and really be invigorated by the word to go forth into mission. And so we want to invite you guys to come with us. We have a limited amount of sign-up slots. If you go to hbc.com slash registrations or on the hub, you can see it there. Uh, if you're confused about that, you can come talk to me afterwards. Uh, there is a $100 fee in terms to, uh, um, in order to register, but we are also currently doing some fundraisers uh, in order to offset the cost for hotels. And so if you guys sign up, please also join uh, those fundraisers, and you can do that by coming and talking to me. And then, guys, the last one is we, we have DC Hospitality sign up on October 15th. And so if you guys want to sign up to do hospitality, be a door greeter on that day, it is our DC's turn, and we still need more slots. All right, guys, give it up for the lady of the hour, Mrs. Running. Good morning, Converge. Good morning. Okay, I have a question. How many of you want to commit to reading your Bible and you actually wake up early 
and you get your Bible, and you're like, what am I going to read? This is a really big book, and sometimes we want to read it, but we don't know where to start, or we don't have a plan. So if that's you, or if you ever feel like that, if you just don't know where to read today, I want to invite you to do the New Testament reading plan with the church. It starts today. And you can read through the entire New Testament chronologically starting today through the end of the year. And I promise you, you will feel so accomplished. But this is not a matter of just checking off the boxes that you did your quiet time or that you read through a reading plan. The point of reading this is to look for glimpses of God through the New Testament. And it's pretty easy to find, especially as we enter into the Gospels where you're going to see so many glimpses of Jesus that you can't write them all down. So one of our values here in Converge is that we want you all to plug into life in the body at Heritage Baptist. And this is one way you can do this because so many of our church family is reading through the Bible this year chronologically. And so what that means is, as you have your time with the Lord in the Word, at home, in your own personal space, many, many, many others in here and in our church as a whole are in the exact same passage of Scripture that day. It's been very unifying for our body here at Heritage to all be reading in the same place. And then I just want to encourage you to jump into that and jump into that and make this a new rhythm for your walk with the Lord. And have you ever finished your Bible reading and closed your Bible and an hour later you can't really remember, what did I even read today? I, I know that's my problem. Maybe that's just an old brain. But if that's, if that's something that you also struggle with, what we're encouraging is for you to find what we're calling your glimpse of God. Or as we're in the New Testament, you can look for a glimpse of Jesus. And it's just one or two things about Jesus, the person of Jesus, that you want to identify from the reading that day. And then you're going to meditate on that thought throughout the rest of your day. You can take it into your prayer time. And you can praise Jesus for who he is in the word. You can also think about it later on in the day. You can ponder it. You can meditate on it so that the word of God is sinking deep into you. And it's informing your thoughts and it's informing your actions. And then when those times of fear come, you know who Jesus is. And you're more equipped to take that problem to Jesus. It's like, have you ever had a sink that's stopped up and you didn't know it? Or it's clogged and you didn't know it? And you come back at the end of the day and there's like this much water in it. What we're doing is every day we're getting that little drip, that little drip of Jesus. We're looking for Jesus, his character, what he values, who he is, his names, what people call him, what he does, who he spends time with. You're taking all of those things and it's just like little drips every day. If you do that every day from now to the end of the year, I promise you, you're going to know Jesus better. And when you know him, you will truly love him and you will long to serve him and obey him.
and it will bring you so much joy. So I want to encourage you to join the reading plan. Starts today. I'll be down front afterwards. If you have any questions, there are so many easy ways that you can do this, and I will help you along the way, and I highly encourage you. So do it. Guys, there's, there's something that you should know about this uh, Bible reading plan. Um, God was very gracious to give the idea of a massive group Bible reading plan to Rhonda. And so 700 plus, maybe getting close to 1,000 people in our church are reading together through God's word because Rhonda listened to God's direction and said, I think this is good for the group of women at Heritage Baptist Church. And then Rhonda and I talked, and we were able to move that forward, but it was Rhonda listening to the Holy Spirit's direction to really promote this. And so thank you, Rhonda. And I really, I've seen the unifying part of this in a really special way when people can, can just walk into a room and say to random people, you know, in our Bible reading today, and it makes sense. You, you can say that to, because most of the time you have these times with God that are special and you've read God's word, you've interacted, you've prayed with uh, to the Lord and, and, and then you want to share that, but you kind of have to set the stage. Like, well, God's been having me read through whatever and you have to set that stage. But in this, we're all, we're all on the same page. Whoever's reading this together, it's such a special experience to be able to walk in and say, you know, in our, in our reading plan today, this is how... God revealed himself to me, and it, and it all makes sense. Guys, one of the, uh, another value that we have in um, Converge is that you, first and foremost, regardless of whatever occupation you choose, whatever location God takes you to, whether you stay here in Lynchburg or you go across the ocean to another country, that you are, first and foremost, an ambassador to be reconciled to God. And so today, we've got some guests with us that I want to come on up. This is Lauren and Rachel, and they are going to explain where they're from currently. But Lauren, not too long ago, was from right here in Converge and has moved on to be able to be an active part of God's work around the world in a very specific place. That place is also where Shelby Haynes, who was with us just in the spring, who is now in Mexico teaching at a school, but also living the gospel life in Mexico as a part of this ministry, um, that she was here just not even six months ago. And so they're here to tell you about what Global Education Ministries is, in case specifically you are an education major. But even if you're not, if there are other roles that, that they have that you could fill, this is a way that you could move outside of potentially your comfort zone especially outside of the nation that you grew up in, and be able to go to the world with the purpose of teaching, but also to live the gospel life among those who are not currently following Jesus. So I'm going to let them share a little bit and tell you more about what Global Education Ministries is. Hey guys, like Dave said, my name's Lauren, and a few months ago I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina to work for Global Education Ministries as their fundraising event coordinator. Um, and so while I'm not overseas, a lot of people that we send are. Um, and so today we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what we do and um, why we're here. And so this is Rachel. She's 
um, my friend, but she's also the person who hired me. So um, she's going to share a little bit about um, what we're looking for and, and who we send and um, a little bit about the ministry. Thank you. I realized I don't know how to change the slides. So, okay, great. Will you do that one? Perfect. Thanks. Um, so I recognize that you guys know a little bit about Lauren. Many of you probably know Shelby, who I also had the privilege of getting to know before um, we sent her to Mexico, but I'm a stranger for most of you. Um, my name's Rachel, and I serve with Jim. This is my sixth year with Jim, and I do um, oversee all things kind of recruitment and mobilization, but before I did that, I was a, an elementary ed major who then decided to go and teach in Mexico for a couple years. Um, and so these are two of my classes with some of the cutie kiddos that I got to serve. Um, and so I just think that's sometimes helpful. Like I'm not some random corporate person like I'm here, like I got to do it too. And, um, and so, yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about who we are and what makes Jim unique. Um, and so our mission is to plant seeds of the gospel in the hearts of students and their families all over the world through quality education. Um, we recognize there's lots of ways that you can do missions, but one thing that's really important to us is um, just the time that we get with students in their classrooms every single day. When you have um, six to eight hours with students over the course of a week, over the course of multiple weeks and months, you just have a lot of time to invest in the, the hearts and minds of these little ones. Um, and so we've got five schools right now. We've got three in Mexico, one in Uganda, and one in Colombia. Uh, most of the people we hire, we do send to Mexico. Um, each school is a little different, and just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of that, but I'd love to share more after. But each of our schools are private, but they're affordable for the local community, not just for the wealthy or the international families that come in, but truly for the community or the families that grow up in that community. Um, they're accessible to both Christian and non-Christian families, and so teachers have an opportunity to disciple students that come from homes that love the Lord and are, are sharing the gospel day in and day out, but also they have an opportunity to evangelize in their classroom um, and invest in students that come from a whole host of, of walks of life. Um, and so again, lots of details that can go in that, but um, our schools are also gospel saturated, which is kind of a, a fancy term that just means we wanna take every aspect of the day um, and, and truly saturate it in the gospel. And so as we're teaching, um, our, our teachers intentionally weave the gospel through their instruction. So math class is not just math class, it is an opportunity to share some truth of the gospel as they're teaching their content. Um, there's also gospel-centered discipline, um, where they get to shepherd students' hearts to know more of Jesus, as well as um, gospel-motivated relationships. So you get to love on these kiddos, um, like these two kiddos, I taught both of them, and I spent time, obviously, with them in my classroom, but I got to serve their families outside, and um, the one in the front, like, I got to spend a ton of time with her family and share the gospel with her older <laughs> sister, and um, so being a teacher opens up all those opportunities, um, and so... I recognize that not everyone in here is a teacher, like that would be kind of crazy to think, but um, for those of you that know the Lord and, and love the Lord, um, your identity is first and foremost as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, um, no matter where the Lord has you. So you might end up working two miles down the road, or you might work, be working 2,000 miles across the world, um, but you're a child of God able to be on mission wherever the Lord has you, um, and we just recognize teaching is that awesome opportunity that we, we choose to take, uh, but that doesn't mean that just because you're not a teacher, you don't have those awesome opportunities too. So um, I know I didn't even tell you these little QR codes. If at any point you're like, hey, I'd like to know more, feel free to scan this and you can um, enter your info and we'll follow up. But um, 
no matter what your job is, um, whether this is something that makes sense for your life or not, um, you have a, a unique call and opportunity um, to impact the, the world and the community that God places you in for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so I challenge you, whether you're a teacher or not, like think about what passions has God given you. For some of you, that may be teaching. If that is, I'd love to talk to you. would love to connect. Um, but think about how you really could use your passion for the sake of um, making Jesus known. And so um, whether that's sports or medicine or um, teaching or being a pastor or whatever the case is, um, there's so many opportunities out there. And so I, uh, there's just no telling what God could do truly through your life. Um, and then we are going to uh, be at lunch after this. We'll be hanging out in the back afterwards. And then we'd love, if you're in a, a position in the next year or two to potentially go overseas, uh, feel free to come up and find us. Feel free to shoot me a text at, at that number. Uh, we're going to go to lunch. Where are we going, Lauren? We're going to go to La Corretta on Timberlake. Um, so <laughs> I've heard good things. Um, so we'd love to chat more. There's not really an opportunity for questions in the, a room this size, but we'd love to answer questions and follow up. So if you can't make it to lunch, scan the code, take a picture of my contact information. I'd love to just chat more and see if this might be something God opens up the door for you to step into. So thank you guys. Thanks. Yeah, they'll be uh, in the back right after. And then, um, and then, of course, you can spend some time at lunch with them if you want to. Uh, guys, I have uh, I have a task for you before we jump into our next part of the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us for the last month, we've um, we've talked about some of Ephesians chapter one, and then we've talked a lot about how that that text gives us some shape to our identity in Christ that we can then work out some of the things that are going to come as we get into later chapters of Ephesians, um, where we're given some, some actual day-to-day uh, -day living instructions, but, but it's really got to be centered on who we are in Christ. And so we're, we're going to move into chapter 2 today, but before we do, I've, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to find somewhere to write or jot a note down. So if you've got your phone, you want to you want to um, make a new memo somewhere. You've got, if you're, you know, paper and pen kind of person, find a new page. Uh, I want you to try to finish three statements. Sometimes we um, we get in a position to share the gospel, right? If we if we were to put ourselves into culture somewhere and we're actually interacting with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus and and we we have this opportunity sometimes we feel like oh man what what am I actually going to say I don't know if you've been there maybe that's maybe that's just my old brain that's um that's there but I think that you can begin to shape that conversation maybe you only have 30 seconds riding on an elevator with somebody but it just happens that you can have that conversation Something comes up, some way that they bridge into it in just that time period. I think there, there's a short version of kind of getting to the point. And I want you to try to finish these three statements, okay? Before I met Jesus, I, dot, 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 okay? So we're talking about your background how you thought you could make it to heaven without Jesus, 
some of the darkness that you found yourself in before, but it's just this statement, it's just one sentence. It doesn't, I'm not looking for paragraphs, okay? Before I met Jesus, I. Second statement, do, do I need to give more time? You can keep working. I'm gonna give you a little bit after this, okay? The second statement is, Jesus drew me to himself by, dot, dot, dot. And the third statement is, since I met Jesus, I, or he has, dot, dot, dot. Okay, I'm going to give you, in fact, I'll just invite Seth to play some music in the background just so it's not awkwardly quiet in here. And, and we're just going to give you a minute to try to fill out those statements. I'm not going to read them. I'm not even going to ask you to read them out loud. I want you to have something, a template to work with because where we're going in, in God's word today is going to help to give us some uh, structure to that as well. So I'm going to give you like two, three minutes to, to work through that so that you have that basis to work, on, work from today. one of those three before I met Jesus I and you finish the sentence Jesus drew me to himself by and you finish the sentence and since I met Jesus I or he has how you are under continual growth and development
do that with me. Um, if you have had trouble writing those things, no problem. You have gone through as God has drawn you to himself, as you've met Jesus, what has changed? And so some of you, you know, it's a real struggle um, if you came to know Christ early to think, okay, where was I? I don't have that. I don't have that darkness that are in some people's uh, testimonies. I mean, we were all sinners, right? In fact, um, one of the things that stands out to me is just my continual search to have other people put their stamp of approval on me. That this was something that I long, and look at, it takes some retrospect at times to, to look back at where I was messed up, but, um, but to see how I was continually looking for other people to put their stamp of approval on me. And it was coming to graciously God bringing me to the end of myself and saying, that's not going to cut it, that you, you need me. And in Jesus, I find that uh, acceptance and that fulfillment in life and that uh, relationship that I was longing for. And then since then, he has continued to develop me in my understanding of just how desperate I am to constantly take him off of the, um, of the altar in my life and put some other lesser, uh, unfulfilling idol in his place. And so um, to think through those things is, I think, really helpful. It also helps to give you something that, that you can think through quickly as you want to share. Just who was I? How did, how did God draw you to himself? And what has he continued to do since then? And what's beautiful is that that is what Paul is going to share with us in a big sense, in a, in a whole group of us sense in Ephesians chapter 2 today. But let me get us there first because it's been a while since, since we actually looked straight into Ephesians. We've talked a lot about it from, um, from other points of view. I would also say if you think you've escaped by not really filling out all those sentences, I would encourage you to keep thinking through that because maybe next week when we have more of a discussion time, we'll talk a little bit more about that story because you shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So we should share that with each other. And if you can't share it here in this room among people who love Jesus, it's going to be a hard sell to think you're you're ready and willing to share it in another environment. So, so I want you to keep thinking through that, and it's not for shame, and it's not for pressure, and it's not to check off a box of holiness. It's so that we can be equipped together to interact with those who are far from Jesus about how they can also be reconciled to Jesus. We talked a month ago from Ephesians chapter 1 about all of these things that God had done to inform, that, that now inform you about your identity in him. And those things are up on the board. You're seeing the, the back um, stage pass here. You, that's not what's, but technology is not always my friend. So you have been chosen to be holy. And we talked about just what does that mean that that not only have we been chosen, this is a beautiful picture of the, of the work of God on our behalf to choose us 
but to choose us with this purpose to represent him also for his honor and glory, but, but to choose us to be holy. And that when we think of this battle with, uh, with sin, we think of the different ways that we would not measure up to God's holiness, which, which is the bar. Be holy as I am holy. When we think of the ways that we don't measure up to that, we, we sometimes find that to be um, just a pressure on us. But it's more than that. It's a relational opportunity, a calling on your life to be holy as God is holy. You've been predestined to be adopted, that your relationship with God is one of being a son of God. And, and we talked about just what does that mean, that it's, that it's purposeful to use that phrase, son of God, because we are brought into the inheritance that we see. That's number four. You're not even, you're not even sure what I'm looking at. It's the orange words up in the corner are the things that I'm looking at that you're not supposed to see. <laughs> Sealed for an inheritance and also redeemed as a part of the master plan of total restoration. That these are things that God has done, and we read that in Ephesians chapter 1. Today, we're going to um, finish reading Ephesians chapter 1. This is what you're actually supposed to see. Uh, and we're, we're going to finish reading Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going to um, move into Ephesians chapter 2. But I want to make sure we, we see the connection with where we just were. After Paul lays that beautiful truth out about who we are because of what God has done and only for his glory, he prays. He prays for the people. He shares how he has thanked the Lord and prayed for them. And so let's read in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is going to continue this discussion. A lot of the same phrasing from this prayer that he longs for the people of Ephesus to experience, the things that he wishes they would really truly know and live out, the things like knowing the hope that he's called you to, I mean, if, if we really honestly knew the hope, those are, that's the thing that would keep you stable in a turbulent life. That we have something that's bigger and eternal instead of just what's happening here. 
if we truly understood the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, then we would, we would much more regularly pursue those things that are eternal, realizing that that's part of the inheritance is that we're moving towards eternity and not temporal life. Where often we put such a high emphasis on achieving the here and now. And if we could really understand the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That, that this power, this power that raises Jesus from the dead is a power that is actively working in you. And so when you feel powerless over temptation or you feel powerless over external pressures, you have you have the immense power of, that, of God that raised Jesus from the dead. We're gonna, see, we're gonna see a few of these phrases come back up in what Paul's gonna continue to say, but I, I want you to listen for those three questions that I had you, or statements that I had you fill out. I want you to listen for that, but in a corporate sense, okay? I think Paul's gonna answer or finish those statements in, in like, the whole of all followers of Jesus kind of sense. They're not going to be as personal as some of the things that you say, but they're going to be as, as universal as anything that I could say because they're a work that God has done on our behalf for you and me alike. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he had loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, I want a little interaction to start our time here, okay? Can you help me, let's see if we can get my notes back up here, the right ones this time. Let's see if you can help me figure out where those three statements get finished in, um, in this passage, okay? Did you pay attention enough to see that? Can we identify the before, before I met Jesus, I? Anybody? 
verse 1 and 2, even through verse 3, right? We were dead in trespasses, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and ooh, heavy, we're by nature children of wrath. Before I met Jesus, I. Now you have some specifics in your own uh, experience of, of just where you identified yourself being before the redemptive work of Jesus took place in your life, before you met Christ. But you also, if you know Jesus, you have this beautiful break in the story right here that I didn't circle there though. You have this beautiful break in the story, but God. And hopefully you finish that statement, <coughs> Jesus drew me to himself by. But here's the work that has been done on your behalf. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's more than one statement, okay? I gave you one statement. I understand. You feel shortchanged right now. Paul elaborates on this work of God on our behalf in a way that clearly, distinctively says, this is not something that you achieved. This is something that God has done by his grace and for his own purposes. Purposes that extend beyond what we might be able to just pick up if we're, if we're trying to put ourselves in God's shoes. That's an impossible task to do. But to understand that he would actually want through this work on our behalf to be able to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in future ages, that we would be part of this work of redemption that God has done that resonates through the future, and that those who have gone before us, we can see how it's resonated in the past, that our own, our own coming to Christ, the gracious work of God done on our behalf would be that that resonates in the future to tell others of the immeasurable riches of his grace. But then it's not over. We don't just get to sit and, and enjoy this status change. We don't get to sit and just revel in this relationship. We are saved for a purpose. And it's not something that's a prerequisite. We heard about that as, as we enjoyed watching baptisms this morning. Is Julio in here? Oh, Praise God, he saved Julio, and he saved you if you're his child. It's not something that you did. It's not something that you could accomplish. 
There aren't works that can achieve this. This is not a result of works, verse nine, so that no one may boast. However, while it's not a prerequisite to your salvation, the commentator that I read, it's something that us to follow through on, and that is that we are his workmanship, craftsmanship, his masterpiece, a part of what he's doing. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So after I met Jesus, he has, or I am different in this way, we follow what has been designed for us to participate in in this work of God around the world. And so uh, we want to go back, I, I want to go back and, and talk about some more things uh, in detail, some things in more detail, but I wanted you to see that as the, as the trajectory of this passage, that it's very much like what I asked you to do for your own story. It kind of tells you before, before the work of Christ, we're desperate. God, and only God, has done a work to draw me to himself, to redeem me, and then since that has been done and that miraculous work has taken place in me to move me from death to life, since then, I'm on the move representing him because of what he has designed for me to participate in. This, this is your story. This doesn't have the same detail, but this is our story. This is what we share so we'll go back, we'll go back. Forgive me for going back over and over this um, passage, but I want, us to, I want us to get it, okay? It says, um, just how bad off were we? There's not much worse to be able to compare to than dead, okay? Kind of leaves you with a hopelessness of sorts, right? Um, dead can be like the life that once carried something is now gone, in a, lot of, in a lot of scripture, it also describes a separation, right? And, and in um, spiritual terms, death, like with Adam and Eve who, who sinned and then death came into the world, this created a separation between us and God. And Paul doubles down and says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. What's the difference? Anybody? I'll give you the mic if you want to, to define it. One, one commentator said uh, that trespasses were more like specific violations of stated commands of God. Okay, you got 10 commandments, you didn't follow one, trespass. Sins would be just generally not, uh, not following the life that would be pleasing to God and and offending him in some kind of way, a little more generically than, than the specific prescribed. Um, almost every other commentator said, Paul's just saying it twice for emphasis. He's saying we were so dead, we were filled with trespasses and sins. Our habit, our lifestyle was walking in violation to what God has designed. 
And even um, as we get into the second part and we think of what could we possibly have elevated to the level of trying to achieve the salvation that we couldn't actually achieve, what would we possibly elevate to that level? The very, the very thing that sets out the way we can actually do that, the law of God, is actually causing us to fail because we're just being informed as to how we can't measure up. And Romans 8 says that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. So we were not only just dead in our trespasses and sins, we can actually mark the ways that we once walked following the course of this world. And you can probably identify the way in which the systems of this world have pleaded with you to walk among them and that you have obliged in some way or another. That we have walked in the course of this world. And, and ultimately what that means is we've been following the prince of the power of the air, this spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience, so I mean, anytime we put this son of something, it, it creates this relationship that is quite intimate to say that we actually are born from this. So these, these guys are so... Um, entrapped in disobedience that it's become their identity, the, the sons of disobedience. And what Paul does here is he actually says, this is what we used to do. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. So he's, he's now labeled three, three things that have drawn us away that we would tend to follow when we don't walk with the Lord. The world itself, okay, the pattern of life that this world promotes, the power over this world, the prince of the power of the air, the devil and his ways, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, and then thirdly, our own flesh. And he goes on to say that our very nature at that point, the nature of children of wrath. Both by our familial relationship with Adam himself and by our actions that we have perpetrated, we, by nature, are deserving of nothing but the wrath of God. So we find ourselves in a predicament. We find ourselves in a pit that we can in no way pull ourselves out of. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Being rich in his willingness to withhold that punishment that we deserve because of the great love with which he loved us. I love the way Paul writes this. It kind of, again, doubles up. It feels a little redundant if you give yourself time to think about it. Because of the love with which he loved us. You see that? The love that I love you with, maybe it feels a little more awkward, especially when I met eyes with Dave Shanton as I said that. <laughs> 
The great, love you too, man. The great love with which he loved us. Sometimes we, we categorize these qualities of God and we accidentally, um, we accidentally put distance between ourselves and God in that. Okay, the mercy of God, we, we recognize that he's merciful and then sometimes we just, we accidentally put upon ourselves a label that we're not deserving of that mercy. Or we know that God is loving and, and if you have read through the Old Testament with us, one of the very clear attributes of God that repeatedly shows up is him being a God of steadfast love. Our God loves. Sometimes we would just categorize that as something that he is, but not necessarily something that I feel or that I deserve. And Paul says the great love with which he loved us. This isn't any longer just a categorical attribute of God. It is a demonstration toward you of his love for you. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, you know, children of wrath, as we saw right there. Let's, let's be clear here, too, for just a second. Um, we need to be careful to never, by accident or on purpose, okay, promote the idea that Humanity is inherently good. And I think most of us wouldn't overtly and intentionally describe that, but sometimes we just buy into sentimentality of the world that we're just all good people trying to make it. That's not where we're at. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive. Alive together with Christ, so that now we're joined with Jesus. Not just made alive and left to go, but made alive together with Jesus. We've been made alive together with Christ, and he, and he just clarifies here that it's by grace you have been saved. He's going to come back to that, but by grace you've been saved. This isn't something you've done. This isn't something that you happen to be in there. It's not accidental. It's not... It's not something that you can achieve on your own. It's purposeful and it's, and it's separate from your own ability. God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. So we could start to, we could start to see some of these impacts, right, of this great love with which he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. What does it so, made us alive, raised us up is another level of, of understanding of this resurrecting work, this, this restoration work that God has done on our behalf. But then what does seated us with him communicate? There's an authority there, right? It doesn't say that we are also at the right hand of God. 
That's a place of specific authority of Jesus, but he has seated us with him in the heavenly places, which I think speaks to now the power that we read about in the end of Ephesians chapter one that works in us, that same power that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We've now been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So there's, there's an authority there over the powers that would attack us, the things that we once followed, the way that we found ourselves in that pit of despair. We've now been seated with him in the heavenly places so that these things have been done for you, not by you, might be a testimony that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, before I read that without, and just kind of glaze over it, I just have to admit the fact that this seems like the understatement of the century that the pinnacle of what he's displaying here is his kindness. But what does kindness actually communicate? I'd love to, we're running out of time, but can you guys take just a minute at your table and dig that up a little bit, peel back a layer or two and say, in what ways does this dramatic work of God, how is it characterized by his kindness? In what way has he shown kindness to you? Can you put some meat on those bones? Just for a minute at the table, I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna stop talking, give you just a minute and see what you can um, encourage each other with right now.
All right, for the sake of time, I'm gonna pull you back in. We'll, we'll continue that conversation next week, okay? Don't miss out, next week we'll continue that conversation. But I want to speak to this idea that, that while on the surface, maybe it's just our own understanding of what kindness really, really means. It, you know, it just, it kind of get it feels a little flippant to me. Oh, you're so kind. It just, it doesn't seem to have the weight that I think we're missing in Paul's language. And so for just a second, I want to take you to two passages in, in Romans, okay? Just to try to set the stage on just how significantly Paul looks on the kindness of our God. Romans chapter 2 Verse four is where we're going to get to, but to give you the the stage here, he's talking to people who judge others that they in turn actually condemn themselves. Okay, so he says in verse one, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Or do you suppose, O man, that you judge those who you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance that he's they're taking advantage of what is this glory in God's kindness. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And also in Romans chapter 11, to set the stage there, we're talking about the grafting in of those Gentiles into the, the tree that they do not belong in. And he says, I've missed the verse here. Hold on just a second. Oh, here. Note then verse 22. Note then the kindness and severity of our God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. That it's put up against the severity of those who have been pruned out and thrown away from the tree, those who have been abandoned, that severity, that level of severity that's even hard for us to really comprehend and be able to communicate about, that level of severity is what's positioned against the kindness of our God. And so we see here that we get to understand and be a display of the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness, goodness, generosity that's displayed toward us in Christ Jesus. It goes on with probably the most familiar verses of this section and says, just to be clear, for by grace you've been saved through faith. The best, the best that you can bring, and you only bring it because God is drawing him. No one comes to the Father except the Father draws him. The best that you can bring is empty hands of faith. For by grace you've been saved. His grace, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, 
so that you can't do any boasting about it. And in fact, we do a disservice to even put ourselves too highly in our own stories. So if you, those three statements that I had you do at the beginning, if they're more about you than about Jesus, then you might want to might want to reflect on that so that we know in any way, whether in our sin or in our supposed achievements, become the, the one who can boast in what God has done. Not a result of our works so that no one may boast. Because this is a beautiful and gracious gift of God. One that gives you purpose one that gives you identity, one that gives you hope in a hopeless world. And when that hope and that identity is set squarely on the love and grace of God, then we can be pushed forward in purpose because we are his workmanship. Not done yet. His workmanship, his masterpiece being completed, his to be created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we, we get to participate now in the work of Christ. To represent him in this way, to be, to be the evidence of his immeasurable riches of grace and to participate in seeing others become recipients of his immeasurable riches of grace. And that God has prepared beforehand that we should be participants in this work for his honor and for his glory and to change then our lifestyle from when we did walk in the way of the world, when we did walk in the, under the power of the prince of the air and when we did walk according to all the fleshly desires that we wanted to fulfill, that lifestyle is over and needs to be replaced by the good works, not to earn the salvation, but as a result of that we then get to participate in the work of God in this world. So we're going to continue this conversation next week as we get to kind of pull back some of this in practical terms at our tables here next week in a discussion time. So I encourage you to come back, maybe read over this some more. Maybe you want to spend some time once or twice this week in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe follow some cross-references. If you, if you always see those little references in the margin or footnotes of your Bible, maybe you want to go and see what that is and bring some information to the table next week as we get to dig a little bit more into this and how it practically should shape our lives. And then um, in November, we'll pick up with the next part of Ephesians chapter 2. But for the rest of this month, we're going to kind of be teasing out what all of this really means for us today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the time that we've had in your word today. Thank you for looking at us in the deep, dark pit of despair. And instead of continuing to look at us as children of wrath, you gave us Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would respond. We would respond by changing the lifestyle rather than 
continually going back to the pit, trying to feed off of the waste, that we would move fully and passionately in pursuit of you so that we could be the active demonstrations of your immeasurable riches of kindness and grace. And that you would use us as insignificant as we are to do the good works that you have set out for us to do. Not to earn your grace because you've already given it to us in immeasurable quantity. But to respond to live it out and show it to others as a result of the grace that you've shown us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.